Last week we started talking about the family. I started a mini-series, a two-week series on the family. Last weekend being what I have come to know as Family Day weekend. We call it Heritage Day weekend here in Nova Scotia. And I promised last week, and I hope I lived up to that promise, that no matter what kind of family you live in, whether you're married or non-married or have children or no children, I promised that there would be something that you would find intriguing in the message. And I'm going to hopefully make the same promise again this morning because I know what it's like sometimes when you walk into church and the preacher says he's going to talk about marriage or family or raising children and and maybe some of you are past that stage. Maybe you're not raising children anymore and you kind of think, well, this would be a great message, but I don't know if it'll pertain to me. So hopefully as last week, this morning as well, we'll, we will all find some nuggets from the word of the Lord this morning that will challenge us and help us to grow. Last week, we looked through the book of Proverbs, and we touched on some of the lighthearted moments in the book of Proverbs, like why you would ever want to live on the corner of a roof. And if you've read Proverbs, you will have understood that, you know, one of the wise sayings is, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than, I'm going to make you say it this week, (laughs) although I think my wife is down teaching Sunday school. And so we talked about raising children, too. We talked about children being a blessing from the Lord and that the season of raising children, it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. And it's both. Something that didn't make it into the message last week was this, that when you're raising children, the days can drag on, but the years They fly by. And those of you who have adult children can attest to the truth of that statement, I'm sure. And so then, when we got to the end last week, we really got down to a really difficult question. We got down to the tough question that, you know what, the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms, it portrays marriage and it portrays family and children as a gift from God and amazing, and truly they really are. But our experience in this life is that it doesn't always work out that way. What do we do when the blessing of marriage and of family and of children breaks down? My wife just came in this morning. You missed the first part. I made them say it this week. Yeah. That's okay. She'll ask me later. But folks, we talked about the blessing of marriage and we talked about the blessing of family and then we realize the reality when we look in the world around us that because of, Scripture calls it the hardness of hearts, because of the brokenness of humanity, we might call it, because of the fallenness of human nature, we don't experience that beauty all the time as God would love us to And so how do we balance, how do we keep intention, grace, and truth in the way that we understand and speak about marriage and divorce and remarriage? Because we need to have an answer. We need to go to the Word of God and we need to have an answer because the the statistics tell us that one-third of individuals in our country will have walked the difficult path of a divorce, of a marriage breakdown. And so we need to have the hope of the Word of God and know what it says to present and to minister in us. So we're going to look in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Let me read that for us together this morning. Matthew, chapter 19. Verses 1 through 9. When Jesus had finished saying these things, 
He left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Verse 3. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Verse 4. Jesus replied, Haven't you read? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if this is the situation, it is better not to marry. Let's pray together this morning. Lord God, we come to your word, Lord God, this morning looking for hope and looking for truth. We come to your word of God this morning looking for grace and understanding, Lord God. And we pray, Lord God, I pray, that as we dig into this text, the conversation that we have this morning, Lord God, will bear fruit in our hearts, not because of my words, but because of what your spirit will do in our hearts this morning. And so we thank you for this, Lord God. We thank you for this. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, I have to confess to you this morning that it's really great when we let the Word of God teach us and help us to see things. Because when I came to Matthew 19 to dig in and read the commentaries, where I came at the end of it was still in line with everything I shared with you last week, but my understanding has been even more fully, I think, enriched in this matter. And I think I understand more completely that this is a difficult, difficult matter that touches to the root of so many things. But let's dig into this this morning. Verse 3, the Pharisees, they go to Jesus and it says they want to test him. They say, Jesus, can we divorce our husband or our wives for any and every reason, the NIV says. If you have the King James Version, it says, can we divorce our husbands or our wives for any or every cause? When I was pastoring in Kentville, my lead pastor, David White always preferred the NASB, the New American Standard Version, who in this says, can we divorce for Any reason at all. Now, you see, the Pharisees weren't asking Jesus in this question if it was permissible 
to divorce, period. Because in their Jewish context, they were, they were allowing divorce. It went all the way back to Deuteronomy 24. And you don't have to flip there, but I'll read it for you. The Pharisees went right back to Deuteronomy 24 and said this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house and after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce. This is getting complicated. Gives it to her and sends her from the house and then if he dies, then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to remarry her again. That's complicated, but the, the Pharisees were going back to that and saying, Jesus, we, we know what Deuteronomy 24 says. We permit divorce, but we just, we're just testing you, Jesus. What would you say? What do you say about this? And so they were actually setting Jesus up with this question. This question wasn't one like when the disciples said, Master, teach us how to pray with honest motives and intentions. Lord, teach us how to pray. The Pharisees were being a little conniving here. They were, they were setting Jesus up because they knew they had their laws. They knew they had Deuteronomy 24, and they knew that they had expanded upon it. And they were just wanting to see if Jesus was going to contradict their law so that they might have a legitimate reason to call him a false prophet because that's what the Pharisees were up to all through the Gospels. So in addition to... Deuteronomy 24, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law in the Jewish time had all sorts of other rules that went along with divorce and remarriage. The first one was this. Women weren't permitted to request a divorce. It was a male prerogative, and it didn't even require a hearing, just a decision on the part of a husband. The husband could divorce their wife if they found something indecent or something shameful about them. And that shameful thing could have been adultery, but it was more broad than that because we know in the Old Testament, the penalty for adultery was death, not divorce. And so divorce was anything the Jewish people came to build up in their, in their list of rules and laws. Some conservative rabbis held a very closed net and said, okay, only adultery. Other more liberal rabbinic sources say that even if the wife did something as trivial as spoiling a meal, she could be divorced. Or if the husband found someone more appealing, she could be divorced. When we read into Jewish history, the Jewish historian Josephus not the writer of scripture, but a keeper of history of the Jews about the time of Jesus' life. He seems to have suggested that this more liberal view of divorce was espoused in the Jewish community at that time, very much like it is in our time. And so the Pharisees were setting Jesus up. They already knew the answers they had to this question of what laws and reasons were applicable to divorce and they were setting Jesus up. They wanted to know if Jesus was going to have their back on this. They wanted to know, even more specifically perhaps, which rabbi was Jesus going to endorse? The conservative ones or the more liberal ones? And so they ask this question, and then Jesus replies in verse 4 and 5. And in his characteristic wisdom, Jesus does not respond to the Pharisees by getting into the nitty-gritty details and debating their law. 
He doesn't even go back to Deuteronomy 24, which was the foundation of some of their law. He goes back even further, and Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, come from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24, which says this, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then Jesus adds the extra statement onto this in the New Testament, which is his prerogative to do. After all, he is God. And he says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And in doing this, Jesus is making a statement. He's making a statement to the Pharisees that might go something like this. That we would do well not to focus on what grounds divorce is permissible, but we would do well to focus instead on what we can do to fulfill the original purpose of marriage from this moment onward. We would do well to determine what we can do from this moment onward to live in accordance with what Jesus set up in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. And so last week, we received a resolution that we're going to discuss and hold a vote on next week. And what that resolution is trying to do is not trying to define a set period of circumstances where you can have a carte blanche to go and divorce your spouse and be in the moral right to do so. That resolution is not about that at all. We're not trying to give people a license to feel justified to breaking a marital bond that they made in good faith to last a lifetime. In fact, that was exactly what the Pharisees were trying to do in this passage, not Jesus. And so that explains why when we look at that resolution next week, the very first affirmation is this, that we, the membership of Evangel Assembly, affirm that divorce is never the desired resolution to marital conflict. Reconciliation, restoration, and forgiveness are always the best outcomes. It goes back to Genesis 2. As Jesus brought the Pharisees back to Genesis 2, and this message, this Genesis 2 message, must be the loudest, and it must take precedence over everything else that is stated. This Genesis 2 ideal of people coming together and being one flesh, male and female, it must take precedence over every other ethical statement and everything about divorce and remarriage that has been stated, even Deuteronomy 24, because as Jesus said, that was only permitted because of the hardness of hearts. Jesus brings Genesis 2 to us, the church. In Matthew, the two are no longer one. What God is joined together he shall not separate. In Mark 10, he brings a similar teaching. In Luke 16, he brings a similar teaching. And so Jesus' view on divorce is this. If you are here this morning, gathering together, and you are wondering whether or not to initiate a divorce, for whatever reason, I plead with you, do not do it. That we pursue restoration at all costs. 
that we don't expect divorce, that we in fact take it off the table of conversation, that it's not an option to consider because Genesis 2 gives us a high view of marriage. Now, when I perform marriage ceremonies, I communicate this high view of marriage in this way. I encourage people to enter it slowly and carefully with much thought. Premarital prep sessions are a must. It slows the process down just enough to consider whether or not this is a good idea. I had a couple come to me this past fall. They wanted me to marry them. And I said, okay, we will, we will start that journey. And we had one premarital prep session. It went pretty well. And then they broke up because they realized this was not a good idea for them. Thank goodness I didn't marry them the very week they had asked. And so I encourage people to consider the pledge that is being made, a lifelong commitment through thick and thin, sickness and health, poor and rich. And when people share difficulties in marriage, I always encourage them to pursue reconciliation and restoration. Sometimes it becomes so unhealthy that the, the relationship is even existing in multiple houses. They're not even living together, but I still point toward hope and restoration of what can be restored. The Pharisees take what Jesus just said to them. They take this Genesis 2 information that Jesus just gave to them. And, and they are so steeped in their own traditions and their own way of thinking, they couldn't even possibly imagine anything new. And so they direct Jesus back to Deuteronomy. Even though he brought them back to the beginning, they say, but, but Jesus, they say, Moses permitted us to give the wife a certificate of a divorce and send her away. The, the, the Pharisees want to go back to this, this Deuteronomy again. They wanted to fight. And so on as a side note this morning, as I was preparing this, I realized it must have been pretty frustrating to have been Jesus. Having shared parables with disciples only to have them say, I have no idea what you're talking about. To have answered the Pharisees' question by bringing them back to the foundation, Genesis 1 and 2, only to have their very next point bring them right back to Deuteronomy. And so Jesus has to clarify this for them. He says, yes, I know what the law of Moses says, and you were permitted to do that, to divorce your wife for any and every reason because of the hardness of hearts, but it wasn't that way in the beginning. The Deuteronomy passage regulates what follows after the principle of lifelong marriage has already broken down. And then he says something that's often disputed. He says, except for immorality, should you divorce your wife and marry another, you commit adultery. And sometimes today I think we take that clause, except for immorality, and we assume that if there is indeed immorality, then we are free from the need to pursue restoration and reconciliation. But I think in context, that's still taking too wide of a view. We are always free to pursue restoration and reconciliation no matter the circumstance. And I think if two people took that approach, both in good faith, not wanting to take the advantage of the other, that is what might actually come. But Jesus tells us the gold standard on divorce is avoid it at absolute all costs. And so now that we know that, Jesus is saying to his people, let's pursue that at all costs. 
Now we can fast forward to our current day from the Gospel of Matthew because we realize it's a fact of life that some of us in this room have not lived up to that ideal in the past. Some of us have been divorced and some of us have been remarried. And some people in this room may find themselves in that position in the future. Even if we uphold that principle of restoration, we know that it takes more than just one person to restore a marriage. Now, here's an interesting thing. It's become popular in the evangelical church to judge whether or not a divorce was moral by determining if there was abandonment or immorality present. We've, we've popularized the notion that, that there can be an innocent party and a guilty party in a divorce. And in some cases, we've done that to the degree in the evangelical church where the root cause of a marriage breakdown is irrelevant. It's just that whoever went out and remarried first must have been the immoral party and the other is the innocent party. And the fascinating thing is that is where the weakness lies in our current PAOC policies as well because we use sometimes that immorality clause from Matthew 19 or the abandonment clause from 1 Corinthians 7. We use those as a get-out-of-jail-free card to not pursue restoration as hard as maybe we ought to. And so the more I studied the scriptures this week, the more I saw the difficulties with that position too because we make blame the focus and we take the focus off of restoration. In essence, even some of our current PAOC policies, which Evangel is not even up to those at this point, is similar to the Pharisees. And so I want to suggest this. Instead of asking if a divorce was legitimate or not, and then punishing people whose divorce we perceive to be illegitimate, like the Pharisees wanted to do with their line of questioning with Jesus. They wanted Jesus to articulate what were the grounds for legitimate divorce so that they could know who to accept and who to exclude. That was the perspective of the Pharisees. Jesus' ideal says this. Let's live according to Genesis 2 as much as we can and allow genuine repentance and grace to cover the sins of the past. Now you might say this morning, that's open to abuse. That's open to insincerity of people's hearts. Well, you know what? Grace can be abused, and that is unfortunate. But even where we may be fooled by the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. And so here's something that was really exciting to me as I looked at these passages and as I examined the resolution that we're going to have before us next week. Here's what's really exciting to me. Because here at Evangel Assembly, we have an old policy from the PAOC, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, that we inherited and we've just never updated. And the policy states this, that you have been divorced or remarried with your current spouse, your former spouse still living. You cannot hold an elected leadership position within the assembly, period. There is no hope there is no grace. There is no place for repentance and restoration. It is a no. Within 
the PAOC, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit further, but there still is this, this notion of, of trying to discern a guilty party and an innocent party and these sorts of things. But, but here's what's encouraging to me, that we have an opportunity next week with this resolution, not only to, to catch up with our fellowship, but we have an opportunity to take the word of God and to cast vision for a day forward that, that leads the way forward in not even just our church, in our community, but in our fellowship to rightly apply the word of God. Imagine little old Yarmouth. The truth is this. The truth is that we did have something right, and we tenaciously held on to it for decades. And what we had right is this. Jesus says from Genesis 2 that divorce is never moral. Divorce always involves the breaking of a pledge. It always harms people and families. Divorce is always difficult. Divorce is always heartbreaking. And Genesis 2 is the gold standard that Jesus put out to us. What God has put together, let no man separate. We held Genesis too high as a church and you know what? You stood up for your convictions. I've read the meetings of the business meetings and the minutes of the business meetings in the 90s. You were brave and you were bold and you held up this standard even though your fellowship was doing something else. But I think, and this is what I was getting at last week, in our bravery to hold up the truth and say, wait a minute, this is the standard that Jesus says. We missed something of equal importance at Evangel that never made it into our policy or our thinking. We missed the power of repentance. We missed the power of grace. We missed what Paul says when he says, the old is gone and the new is here. We missed what Paul meant when he said, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we come to Christ by repentance. And so, from this moment onward, the teachings of Scripture says this. No matter how you got to where you are today, no matter what your past is, no matter what you've come to, whether it's been one divorce or three divorces, no matter if you come today having a history of one remarriage or three remarriages, we're not going to count and judge innocent or guilty. Instead, we're going to accept the past as broken and we're going to accept repentance acknowledges what happened is regrettable and we'd never want to walk that path again. Because folks, to be honest, I have never sat with someone who has been divorced who told me that that was something they would ever want to experience again. I've never sat with someone who had walked through a broken marriage and come out on the other side without some wound, without some scar, without some hurt, and the church doesn't need to add to that. We just need to live out Genesis 2 as truth, but allow for genuine repentance to be the way. And so, Evangel, I'm asking you to be brave like you were in the 90s. Be brave again. This isn't the time to stick with an old policy that didn't serve our fellowship well, and doesn't serve us well today. I want us not just to move out and come in alignment with our fellowship. I want us to point a way forward for our church. 
point a way forward for our community and for our fellowship. And this way forward says this, that though there is brokenness in the past, the way forward can be made clean through genuine repentance and there is therefore no more condemnation. There is therefore no more punishment. There is therefore no more hindrance to what the Spirit of God can do in a person's life and equip them for one, two, five, ten, twenty-five years later. I think we can point a way that honors the integrity of Scripture and marriage and also a future that honors repentance no matter how far a situation is gone. And so I'm asking Evangel, as I asked the board last month, to be brave and to stand up as we have in the past with conviction, to be a beacon of truth, not just for our church, but for our community and even for our fellowship, stating that yes, Genesis 2 tells us and Jesus reminds us what God has brought together in that one flesh relationship. Let man not separate. We pursue restoration. We plead for restoration. We pray for the hope of restoration. And we lift that up. But also when brokenness has happened, we realize that repentance is stronger than any immorality that a person could ever conceive of in their past. And we don't look for fault. I don't want us to look for fault any longer. Guilty and innocent parties as though there are innocent ways where we can have a carte blanche. We certainly don't have to punish people forever for sin. We can look for repentance. What does repentance look like? It's a firm desire with God's help to never walk that path again. And where there is repentance... There is full, complete restoration. That's the essence of what we will be discussing next week at our annual business meeting with this resolution. And so, folks, I encourage you to, if you haven't, take a look at it. There's copies at our information booth. And there are copies, if you're a church member, in the annual membership book that's in your mailbox this morning. Specifically, we want to be a church that considers truth and grace. We want to remove a policy that states that divorced and remarried individuals can never find themselves eligible for service on the leadership here at Evangel Assembly because, you know what, that policy might just be about leadership, but it makes a statement. It makes a statement that divorce and remarriage is something that you can never ever fully come back from, that the repentance and the restoration and the grace of God falls just a little short on that one issue. And that's just simply not the case. I don't think we can, in good conscience, restrict an individual's function in the kingdom of God simply because of something that happened in their past, sometimes even their ancient past. Because when we do that, we're going back to what Paul says of being saved by works or by faith. And I think when we function in the kingdom of God according to the current policy, we're functioning by works and returning to the law. And that is one of the reasons the PAOC moved away from that policy many years ago. And so I would encourage you to consider the scriptures 
consider the resolution, I'd encourage you to have conversations with me, with each other again as well, as we attempt as a church to make a statement that is biblical, that is full of hope, full of grace, honors the truth, and is a way forward not just for us, but even for our fellowship. And so let's pray together this morning before we head out. Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord God, that what you have given us in your word is something that we can hold on to, is something that we can grab onto, is something that anchors us and keeps us close to you. But Lord, your word says that we need to be close to you to understand what it says, that we need to walk according to your spirit. So I just pray, Lord God, that we will walk according to your spirit this week, that we will listen to what your spirit says, and that we will make a wise discernment together as an assembly next week. So I thank you for this, Lord God. I thank you for this gathering this morning. In the name of Christ, we pray together. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's been good to gather with you here this morning. Look forward to seeing you again this evening if you're able to join us at 630 and then again next Sunday. Have a great day.